I vividly remember a time when our children were quite young, ages five, three, and one. Our household was very, very busy. And Julie and I were feeling a bit pressed, and, and we needed a break. And so we got some friends to watch our kids, and we went away to a conference for a spiritual retreat. And that time away was a great time of rest and refreshment and encouragement. And we relaxed, and we experienced some spiritual renewal. We had wonderful times of worship and prayer. And because we were praying more than we normally did, we felt closer to God. We felt like we were hearing more from God and receiving more wisdom about our lives, about our marriage, about our family, and about our work. We just had this incredible closeness to God and it fanned the flames of hunger. And our hunger for God grew throughout that week. And then the retreat ended and we went home. We went home to diapers and temper tantrums, home to the stresses of work and bills, and our thirst for God started to fade. We became distracted and busy, so we didn't spend as much time in prayer as we did at the retreat. We allowed our busyness to intrude and to keep us from praying with consistency. And because we were not talking to God as much, nor listening to God as much, we had a far more difficult time seeing Him at work in our daily lives. We had fallen into an unhealthy pattern where we were just fitting God in when it was convenient for us. And instead, we needed to cultivate a consistent, ongoing longing for God. And we realized the best way to do that was to pray. To pray no matter how we felt, to pray no, how, no matter how busy we were. Because we realize that the more we pray, the more our hunger and thirst for God will grow. And when we develop a deep longing for God, it will sustain us when times get rough. This morning, we want to look at one of the prayers recorded in the Bible to give us some insight into this issue. It's a prayer offered by King David of Israel, and it's recorded for us in Psalm 42. Now, the prayers written in the Bible are special because they're part of Scripture. All Scripture has been inspired by God and written through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And this means the prayers that are written for us in the Bible are spirit-inspired prayers. God graciously has given us these real-life examples of prayer to teach us how to pray. And in Psalm 42, David shows us that it is possible to keep praying in any circumstances of life. He's able to pray when he is at the very bottom because he's cultivated a deep, consistent longing for God. Well, let's take a look and see what we can learn from King David in Psalm 42, and we'll start in verses 1 and 2. It begins, For the director of music, a masculine of the sons of Korah, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. 
My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Now, this psalm begins with what's called an inscription or a dedication, and it reveals an interesting story behind this prayer. It references the sons of Korah. Now, Korah and his sons were instrumentalists and musicians who led music during services in the Jewish temple. And so David wrote down this prayer, and then he gave it to Korah, and he and his sons turned it into a worship song. They set his words to music, and then they presented it to the music director at the temple for use in public worship. I think it raises a question. Why would David take a very personal, private prayer and make it public? Well, it's because this particular prayerful worship song is called a maskil. And maskil is an ancient Hebrew musical term that has to do with teaching. That's the root word. It's teaching. You see, many worship songs are for praise or adoration or confession, but sometimes a worship song is designed to teach us something. And in particular, this one is designed to teach us about prayer. David is sharing his prayer specifically so that men and women of faith can see the deep value of longing for God consistently. And when we long for God, or to use David's words, when we thirst for God, this is what will sustain us no matter what circumstances we face. Now, what's fascinating to me about this particular prayer is that in the opening, we can't immediately tell what kind of mood David is in as he prays. He's obviously thirsty for God, but is this because things are going great? Is he at a point where he's just overwhelmed with the goodness of God, like somebody on a spiritual retreat, and he simply longs to experience more and more of God? Is David perhaps praying these words this way? Oh, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? This is the way I usually see these verses depicted. It's, It's as if David is a deer in a beautiful forest coming down to take a sip of water at a calm and serene pool. It's pleasant and it's inviting. I can't tell you how many Christian pictures and posters I've seen with these Bible words imprinted next to a picture of a deer that is perfectly at peace in a safe, beautiful setting. But we can't assume that this accurately captures the mood of the prayer. See, could it be that David's actually at a spiritual low point? Instead of feeling overwhelmed by the goodness of God, could he be feeling overwhelmed by the circumstances of life? Well, if so, then this prayer is a cry of desperate longing for God in the midst of struggle. And perhaps he's praying like this. Next picture, please. There we go. As the deer pants for streams of water, oh, so my soul pants for you, oh my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Oh, when can I go and meet with God? 
You see, there's two different ways we can understand these verses. And I think one of the great things we learn from this psalm is just that. This spirit-inspired prayer reminds us that we need to thirst for God whether we're happy or sad, whether we're feeling close to God or distant from God, whether life is going great or whether we're overwhelmed by our circumstances. David's prayer reminds us that it's good to be thirsty for God. And a great way to quench our thirst is to pray. To pray and keep praying. To call out to God, which is what David does here. And as we're about to see, David desperately needs God because he's at one of the lowest points of his life. So this is not a prayer offered by someone on a spiritual high who's enjoying the best of life. It's a prayer of longing from a man who is deeply hurting. And what we learn is this, that when we're struggling, the best thing to do is to not turn away from God, but to keep praying. Because as we pray, we keep our longing for God alive and we fan the flames of hope. We fan the flames of hope. And that's what David does. Let's see how he prays next. Verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to, used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. David is so low that he literally spends hours weeping. He's crying because there's a deep ache in his mind, in his heart, and his soul as a direct result of some very painful life circumstances. And we can't know for sure what he's going through, but it's most likely that David offers this prayer at the time when his son Absalom has organized a rebellion against him. Think about that. His own son has betrayed him and driven him away. Could anything be more painful than that kind of badly broken relationship between father and son? And then furthermore, because of this attack on his leadership, David has been forced to flee from Jerusalem for an extended time. He's been driven out of town. It's a forced relocation away from the comfort and familiarity of home. How could this be happening? David is God's chosen king, so how could God let that happen? It's no wonder that David's critics use this as an opportunity to mock him Where's your God, David? If God's really on your side, none of this would be happening. This is such a common way for critics and skeptics to cut down a believer. And we sometimes make it easy for them when we fall into believing that a good God would never let anything bad happen to us. 
And that's not true, of course. So when bad things do occur, then, then people can use that as a, uh, as a convenient way to belittle our faith. And I've had that happen to me. I'll bet you've had that happen to you. And it's really vital that we do not present a false view of the life of faith. The richness of the life of faith is not that we escape pain or problems. The richness comes when we long for God and we invite Him to walk with us through our pain and problems. The richness of the life of faith is when we reach out to God and place our hope in Him, not in our circumstances. And that's what David does here. He prays. As he prays, he is reminded that he can hope in God. Despite the fact that he's been betrayed by his son, despite the fact that he's being harassed by his critics, that's horrible. It's bad. Could it get any worse? Yes, actually it could. You see, because David's been forced to leave town, that means he's also been driven away from the temple, the place where God in that period of time made his physical presence known. And as David says here, he used to worship at God's house and experience that physical closeness to God, but right now he can't do that, so he is separated from God and he doesn't know when that's going to change. It's no wonder that he prays and asks, when can I go and meet with God? David has been driven from his throne, he's been driven from his home, he's been driven from God, and and yet he doesn't turn away. He keeps looking up. He keeps his focus on God. Now, there's something that, that I find really interesting about the way David prays. Maybe it struck you as I was reading these words. Did you notice that he doesn't just talk to God, he also talks about God, And he also talks to himself. So he uses prayer not just as an opportunity to pour out his heart to God, but to remind himself of who God is. And to remind himself of his connection to God. And to remind himself of what he needs to do. David's words here in in verse 5, I think, are a case in point. He's honest with himself about his emotional and spiritual condition. Why, my soul, are you downcast? And yet he reminds himself not to wallow in misery. The the solution to his situation is to put his hope in God. To remind himself that a day will come when he feels restored and is able to worship freely once again. And this is not just a personal pep talk. Because these words are offered in an attitude of prayer. And I can't, I can't fully explain it, but, but it's one thing for you and I to talk to ourselves at random moments. And it's another thing for us to talk to ourselves during a time of prayer. I, I think there's something spiritually profound about giving ourselves godly words of advice when we pray. And I believe the Holy Spirit works in such moments in a special way to give our words greater spiritual vitality and impact. 
And so as David is there in this attitude of prayer, he reminds himself to trust in God and to hope in God, and it helps keep him on track. It keeps him looking up and not caught up and mired in his circumstances. And so again, And again, through this prayer, as David honestly lays out his troubles before God, he continues to pray and he continues to look to God. Let's continue on, verse 6. David says again, My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep and the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Now, it's very apparent here that David is spiritually conflicted. And and so we see his emotions run from one extreme to the other. He is so downcast and yet he's looking to God. He's in awe of the God whose power can create a roaring waterfall, and yet he feels beaten down by that very same power. God's world is a place of beauty, but it's a fallen world, so it's a place where people can get hurt. And David is hurting as if he's been crushed by the waves of the sea. Now, David is speaking metaphorically here about the waves, but... I find it interesting that many years later, the prophet Jonah took these same words and he prayed them literally. Jonah almost drowns in a storm and then he's swallowed alive by a giant fish. And he was pounded by waves and breakers before he was rescued. And so he finds comfort in taking this part of David's prayer and making it his own. It's as if Jonah was saying to God, hey, just like David, Lord, I've been beaten down. Yet just like David, Lord, I'm still longing for you. I'm still praying. And there's a lesson here. This spirit-inspired prayer, like all of the prayers in the Bible, they're not given to us just to teach us about prayer, but for us to use in our own prayers as we might have need. And this is a great reason for us to get to know the Bible because we then can take these spirit-inspired words of Scripture and they can shape our own prayers to God. So this prayer of David is a great real-life example for us to learn from and to use. And I love the fact that David, despite the fact that he feels beaten down by life, He still affirms God's love and watchful care. He sees that God is present and active in his life both day and night. And so he's struggling. But he prays. He prays recognizing that God is the source of his life. And because he continues to pray, then he continues to be hopeful even when he feels like he's at the very bottom. And David truly is at the bottom. Look what he says next, verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? 
Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And here it comes again. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. There's sort of a cyclical thing going on here as David just recounts all of his woes and his struggles. And yet he continuously comes back to God. And here at the end of this, this prayer, he's now questioning God more deeply. And we can see what he's conflicted with. God is his rock and he's able to say that with conviction. And yet his rock seems to have moved. He's asking the same question that his enemies ask. Where are you, God? And in this moment, there's no easy answer. Oh, David knows God's there, but it doesn't feel like it because David still is in his predicament and the end is not yet in sight. And worst of all, as David honestly tells God in this moment, he's in physical pain. He's experiencing pain because of his son's betrayal and because of the mocking of his critics and because of the separation from God. He is in physical agony in his bones. And I don't believe this is hyperbole. I think we sometimes overlook the very real connection between our minds and our emotions and our bodies. And many times the physical infirmities that we battle originate in our anxiety and our fear and our stress. And these things show up as ulcers, a racing heartbeat, hyperventilation, maybe blood pressure problem. These and other physical ailments sometimes, not always, but sometimes are birthed out of our own emotional state. And so when we are concerned for our physical health and we pray about that, we also need to pray and ask God to heal our minds and our hearts. Because if we can embrace the peace and the hope that God offers, then we'll not only feel more calm, our bodies just might function more in the way that God intends. David is physically aching because of his emotional and spiritual agony. And he knows that his pain will subside when he's restored to God, so he keeps praying. Yes, he wonders what God is up to. He wonders where God is. He wonders why his situation is not yet resolved. Yet he continues to look up to keep his focus on God. He doesn't wallow in despair. He knows that the only real hope in life comes from God, his rock. And so again, he reminds himself, there will come a day when I'm able to freely worship you once again, O oh God. And I believe the only reason David can pray like this in this situation is because he's cultivated this deep longing for God. It's a longing that never stops. 
It doesn't stop even now when he's been driven away and beaten down and crushed by the circumstances of life. His longing for God keeps him connected to God. His longing for God sustains him. And that's why this prayer ends on a note of hope. And like David, you and I always can hold onto hope when we long for God. And we nurture that longing and we express that longing through consistent prayer. You know, as I read these deeply personal words, I marvel that David took this prayer and he gave it to the sons of Korah and asked them to turn it into a worship song. You see, he wasn't afraid to let people know that he struggled. He knew that his own experience of pain and spiritual isolation was not unique. Everyone goes through low times. So David wanted men and women of faith to know how to pray when we are at the bottom. And he wanted us to see that a deep, continual longing for God only thing that can keep us from wallowing in despair. I think David's entire prayer is a deeply personal expression of what he said at the outset back in verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? David is at the bottom And yet, unlike many of us, he doesn't turn away from God. He doesn't run from God. He doesn't hide from God. He never stops longing for God. So David keeps praying. He prays not in spite of, but because of what he faces. A badly broken relationship. Relocation from the familiarity of home. Feeling distant from God. He's got physical pain, emotional turmoil, spiritual confusion. It's all here. There's something in this prayer for every one of us to identify with. By praying, by longing for God, David keeps going. This spirit-inspired prayer can be your prayer and my prayer. We, like David, can keep praying to cultivate and to express a never-ending longing for God. A longing that will enable us to always live with hope. With hope. No matter what circumstances we may face.